Hey, hi, hello, and welcome to the first after party of campaign two. Oh. So good. We have so much to go over. I'm so excited. I am also equally excited. Me too. The train is going by, so I'm waiting. Oh, fuck yeah, train. It's five we love minutes trains. late. I'm real mad about it. We love trains here in Lake Town City. I want the train to be like an NPC, if that could be possible. Okay. But like only for the after party, like I'll control the train and I'll roll for the train so that it comes on time. Okay, great. I love it. I think the question that people are most excited to hear about are character sheets. So why don't we just go over them and go through them? How does that sound? Yeah. I just have a note that says Brandon's character is just a druid. Yeah, it's just a druid. No subclass. No subclass. It's just a a druid. druid. You have to say it like that. Mm -mm. Oh, it's It's just just a druid. druid. What are you talking about? What order do we want to go in? Let's leave Brandon for last because that's going to be the longest one to explain. Leave him wanting more. All right. Well, as we uh, wait with bated breath about uh, this druid, I will tell you all about Aggie. So I am a level three monk. Eric, no, I forget. Do you like monks or? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Monks are very good and everyone should play. There should be one in every party. It blows my mind that everyone's like, you know what? I want to have magic guitar and not I want to run up a wall in by level 10. Like, okay, was that fi- that must be fun for you and your puns. I chose a monk because I really like the mechanic of key points. That basically is a thing that monks have where every long rest you replenish the number of key points you have. I currently have three. You have a number of key points that's equal to your level and you can use them um, whenever you want to, really. And I like that because it gives me more control over combat. And as you heard in episode two, I use that with a combination um, of my feet, which is lucky, to be able to re-roll things. And I get three luck points uh, per long rest as well. So I sort of added a little bit to my character sheet where I can track those underneath all my weapons. And it's really fun. I was inspired by Emily Axford in uh, Dimension 20 on Sleeping City and just really love the amount of of like things you can do in combat. Uh, I studied very hard. I made myself a flow chart about uh, initiative and all of the things that I can do in combat because especially watching uh, Dimension 20, the movement was so much easier to grasp when I was looking at a game board with pieces um, and realizing like how you can order movement action, bonus action, reaction, opportunity attack, and just like interactions with people. So I am trying to be very kind of combat focused, which I, I felt, you know, not as confident about when I was playing a rogue because sneak attack makes no sense. That's true. Yeah, the key points are really interesting because they fuel like truly superpowers that monks have. It's a real Jessica Jones situation. Then you're like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna like, I'm just gonna jump really far, or I'm gonna punch a lot. So you can use one key point. This is the stuff that Amanda has at level three. Use one key point to use Fury of Blows, which gives you two unarmed strikes. You can use a key point to use the dodge action just as the bonus action, so everybody gets disadvantage against you. Or you use one key point as a Aggie did to run down some bad guys to dash as a bonus action and your jump distance is doubled for the turn so it's like oh i'm gonna use a point and i can jump like 15 feet yeah you know what yeah. are monks Very cool. 
Yeah, they're wild. So let me let me tell you what what a monk is. I, I sort of wrote this down because I was as I was coming up with my character, I knew the person I wanted to play, but not the class. And so as I was reading up on it, I was like, man, I don't like I'm not I'm not a fucking Doctor Strange type person. So like, what does this mean? So I read a lot of like inspiration about monks sort of summaries. And the thing that really, really struck me was from uh, tribality.com that monks are martial artists, sure, but they have like physical and mental discipline, more like Batman or Jedi than like Trappist monks or Doctor Strange style monks. Eric, if you had just said monks are Jedi, I would have been playing a monk like in every <laughs> campaign we had ever done. If you choose to not read between the lines and do two pages of reading, that's not my problem. <laughs> Got you there. And my monastic tradition, which each monk has to choose, is the way of tranquility. So that means that monks of the way of tranquility see violence as a last resort. They use diplomacy, mercy, and understanding to resolve conflicts, but push their capable warriors who can bring an end to the unjust or cruel people who refuse to listen to reason. Um, so again, that made a lot of sense to me as somebody who's like very connected to a community and has a real life that they they want to prioritize and uh, make sure it doesn't get disrupted. So that gives me some cool buffs. I have healing hands and we sort of chose a modification of the way of tranquility. Um, this is from Black Bata on Reddit who shared a kind of uh, just, I don't know how you call it, but like reordering a little bit and redoing the mechanics on some of these things. So for healing hands, I, I basically have a pool of healing dice, D12, that replenish every time I do a long rest again. So more things for me to track. Um, and the number of healing dice equals my monk level. Um, and I can, you know, with a couple different sort of specifications as an action, spend some of that healing dice to cure somebody of poison or to like heal them from hit points. Yeah, that's right. We have a healer. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can so heal too, y'all. We, we have, have two, two healers. almost healers. <laughs> But um, just to round up, I also have explained this, but my background feature is the superpower. That means I get more details on perception checks involving like building uh, exteriors or floor plans. And if I pose as a super to get into a building, I have advantage on deception checks, but also I have to then roll a d6. And on a one, the person will ask me to actually fix something in their house. <laughs> I didn't I know that was is... part of your feature. That's incredible. Oh, yeah. No, I can't put it myself because <laughs> I think it is fucking hilarious <laughs> that was related to the one in episode one we didn't roll on it because the ropers knew who aggie was but theoretically if aggie was trying to lie her way into a building she will have to roll on that exactly so it's yeah it's very funny um this is a point for everybody everybody is a variant human uh so everybody gets a feat so amanda chose the lucky feat which lets her re-roll bad things that happen to her three times a day I think one of the questions for later on um, was how I decide how to use that and key points. And it's sort of whenever I think something is important enough that redoing it could have a um, like material impact on how the rest of the episode or initiative is going to go. So that's why I tried to do it in the hallway because I, I really wanted to, to stop that vault from being robbed. Uh, it didn't quite work the way I wanted to, but I, I was happy to kind of spend my point there to try to make it happen. So, Amanda, would you say that you're more of an Obi-Wan or an Anakin? Brandon, they're not Jedi. Or a They're Yoda. monks and they're Batman. They're or Batman. Or maybe like a Mace Windu. Julia, can you just cut mm. this part? This is the dumb shit no. that I usually cut. I won't. I won't do I, it. I think, Brandon, whichever one is gayest, and I understand that to be Mark Hamill. So. Oh, I was going to say Obi-Wan. I was going to say Yoda. Gay. <laughs> Listen, you know, Yoda canonically gay. Yeah, lives by Yoda? himself, kicks it in a swamp, gives out, <laughs> looks comfortable all the time, gives out wisdom whenever people need it. Wears a caftan. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure, sure. And, and that's my mom. Cool. I like it. I love it. Aggie's great. Oh, and I carry handyman tools. 
when you were building Aggie, like how much more research did you do this time? Like, I think you did a lot more research than I've ever done. What was the process like? Uh, well, Brandon, I have a seven page document with footnotes about monks and all of my <laughs> abilities and backgrounds and a flowchart about initiative. Because, again, I, you know, totally new to the game in uh, in campaign one. And most of what I learned about D&D, I learned on the show. I didn't do a lot of research outside of the show. And I didn't, you know, read or listen to a lot of D&D media in part because there was a lot less around that I thought was inclusive and interesting. So especially getting really into Dimension 20 over the sort of break between campaigns one and two, I was very excited about being a lot more strategic in combat. And I knew that both you and Julia, you know, were bringing a lot to the table in terms of understanding how to use all those things. Um, and I wanted to make sure that I was, you know, being a, a good a good co-host for you guys and, and bringing something similar to the table. Aw, we appreciate you. Also, monks are really fun. You brought everything to the table in season one, too, but I see what your point. Thanks. <laughs> this is just a fun DM tip from me to you. Players, do research. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah, just do it. It's fun. I did so much research putting together like my concepts for characters that we did in the pregame episodes. So I, I had all of my research ready and then expanded upon it further once I decided on a character. But research is fun. And thank you for doing that when I use those char character concepts as NPCs no. against you. <laughs> no. Ah! And it also makes me feel more secure that I, I know that if I, you know, in the middle of combat need to pull something up and remind myself, you know, what disengage really does, I, I have something there at hand. So I don't know. It's a nice, like, touchstone to have available. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it's interesting that you said that, Eric, because, like, I obviously, yes, I do a ton of research too, but I do it more as like, um, <laughs> uh, I do it more as like literature reading and less as like flowchart skill stuff. Cause when I, when I end up like doing combat in, from the flowchart, I feel like I'm just playing a video game and I don't want to play a video game when I'm playing DD. I want to tell a story. So it's like, it's just an interesting way to like think about it two different ways. Yeah. To each their own. Yeah, exactly. And I think the combination of the two makes it interesting. Julia, tell us about everybody's favorite face, Val. I still can't believe you guys b both picked characters that have customer facing jobs, yeah. have to educate the public uh -huh. and stuff like that. How did I end up with the highest charisma? <laughs> I don't understand it. Well, I'm not a politician. I'm just an edutainer. One would have to assume you need to roll good performance checks for edutainer. I don't know. I was not expecting to roll a performance check as my first roll of the campaign. That was very surprising to me. But yeah, uh, so Val is a battle rager barbarian that is typically only reserved for dwarves in uh, the Forgotten Realms. But uh, I talked with Eric and it worked really well for the character that I was trying to portray. So we ended up you know, choosing all of us going with a human variant instead. So Val is a human, not a reskinned dwarf. I thought it was just interesting because Val is like, <laughs> this is the tradition of Italians or like of punks, which is something that Val has that a lot of other people don't have. Like it still counts as I think a tradition outside of the norm. So yeah. I think that works. Thank you. Thank you. And one of the key features to the Battle Rager Barbarian is, of course, the Battle Rager armor, which we reskinned as a spiked leather jacket. Iconic. It's really, really cool. And the, the plus side to that is when I make weapon attacks on a target that is within five feet of me, I can roll another attack and then use my spikes to deal 1d4 piercing damage, plus my strength modifier. Yeah. And when I'm raging, that is a lot of damage. It is. We saw that in episode two when you just destroyed a lot of boys that needed to be destroyed that was not expecting a five foot tall person in a leather jacket to beat them up. 
Yes, that's true. Also, fun fact about that, if I grapple a creature instead of attacking them, they automatically take three piercing damage. That's cool as hell. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So every time you never hug, hug someone, they take three cool. damage. I was just going to say, never hug me. <laughs> <laughs> never hug anyone. The Val, the Val Vesuvio story. <laughs> See, you are charismatic. You People want to know more about you. You just are very choosy about who you, you know, spend that on. That is true. That is true. I definitely am a little choosy. And because Val is a human variant, like we said, I chose the Charger feat, which basically allows me to take the dash action and still attack as a bonus action. So I can, for example, run 60 feet and then punch someone in the face. Yay! Again, very Jedi. superhero. <laughs> very superhero. Well, because I was thinking about when we settled on our characters, I wanted to think about how a superhero would actually work with barbarian rage and what i kind of settled on was something between cannonball from x-men and also gambit from x-men where the idea behind in my head at least the the idea behind val's superpower is they are converting potential energy into kinetic energy and so that's what the vibration is when val is raging is just all of the potential energy speeding up into kinetic energy i love it that's really smart it's a good thing we cut your bayou accent that you were really trying to push thank you i I decided the italian worked a lot better in my mind we also cut the magical cards i thought that that was a little bit much (laughs) just wait i just you know instead of throwing playing cards Val throws themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the idea that Val doesn't have any ranged attacks. It's just like, no, I'm going to go beat you up. Like, that's it. Yeah. Just Sonic the Hedgehogging straight into combat <laughs> is my goal. Extremely good. So, Brandon, I hear you're playing just a druid. Can you Yeah, it's tell just me a druid. That? It's just a <laughs> druid. So I'm playing a Circle of Spores druid that we've reskinned to Circle of Spirits. And by reskin, I mean control F replace spores with spirits um, no there there is a lot more that is changed other than that uh, i don't think so eric it's just a druid um that, oh my God. <laughs> jesus fucking christ it's not it's funny but also the erasure of the amount of work that we put in to change this character into something else um yeah so we can we can post the class sheet to our website or in the we can post our my class sheet, but basically what we did was took the circle of spores and mixed it with a little bit of um, the revived rogue. Um, I liked the revived rogues like flavor, uh, and that's what I wanted to try to to do to play. But the circle of spores features and spells actually like made more sense with it in our opinion. So we sort of just like mixed and matched the different features of the class. Yeah, so we changed a few of the things around. We moved maybe one or two of the level features, but basically the idea of it was that I wanted to have Milo be sort of like, instead of infested with mushrooms, infested with spirits. <laughs> um, and so we sort of like classed the feature around that. My rest of the stuff came from sort of like, uh, sort of the same way Amanda did it. It was like, who do I want to play and then what fits that? So like my background is Guild Merchant and that really does nothing but i wanted milo to be a very active reseller on ebay of uh uh, like fandom memorabilia 
Um, it does so come that up. Makes sense. So his proficiency is eBay. I was wondering what that eBay stuff was about. Yeah, he sells like it's a side gig. He sells a lot of fandom and like buys a lot of fandom memorabilia on eBay, and that's his proficiency. Uh, one of them. <laughs> um, and he also has like one of his two of his languages are like he has common, obviously English, and then Klingon, Elven, and uh, Druidic. But it's not like Druidic and Elven like in D and D sense. It's like Lord of the Rings, Elven, and like. <laughs> now, Brandon, I'm sorry to say, but I don't know how relevant that's going to be to our campaign. <laughs> it's not going to be. Uh, <laughs> remember the whole thing about like being uh, combat ready. I'm more just want to play a fun character. <laughs> Listen, watch Eric give us fucking Klingon glyphs to decode <laughs> in an escape room scenario. The mm-hmm. the druidic thing is like a sort of like a thieves can't type thing where it's like druids can talk to each other so that might work somehow but I don't know how that might come up in the future we'll see Liz I'll tell you Klingon is gonna come up Klingon is more likely to come up than druidic <laughs> well it could also just be like you know I don't know I sent a DM via eBay or something I don't know what it is but um, I don't know Klingon so please don't like the exhibition placards in a museum or you know clues of ghostly you know infestations i I can see a lot of potential applications yeah yeah tell us about tune so yeah that was actually another interesting thing of uh the thing we did so technically or i guess depends on what you play but a lot of druids have um the wild shape feature which is where you turn into a animal of your choosing but we chose the wild companion feature, which is another is a is a possibility within druids. So basically, I have a spirit animal as opposed to turning into an animal itself. So that's Tuna, who I hear is everyone's favorite character. Sorry, guys. That's yeah, fair. it is definitely. I get it. Every day I wake up and go, no, I don't want to in Tuna voice. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of like we based it on the familiar of from wizards. In fact, I have it right here. It's from the alternate class features in Unearthed Arcana. You can use the ability instead of using your wild shape as an action. You can use a use of your wild shape feature to cast the fine familiar spell without material components. So now Tuna is just a ghost cat who is always around Milo. Right, and the familiar is a fae instead of a beast, so that we, we you know, use quote-unquote fae as, like, ghost. So I, I also have to know what part or what uh, what reskin you guys used in order to get your wild magic surge. Yes, okay, so this is the most fun thing. So I couldn't find a feat that I found really interesting. So I've always really loved the wild magic table. I played a sorcerer in a home game a couple of years ago now, um, and it was the most fun thing I've ever done. I turned into a potted plant at one point. It was awesome. Um, so I just love the randomness that it provides. So what we did was take, originally we took the, I took the wild magic table and I basically just re-fixed the like verbiage. So it was all like spirits focused. I sent that to Eric and Eric was like, what if we did this for your feet and then let's cut it down to like, I forgot how many it ended up being like 10 or something. Yeah, it just didn't really make sense how to work it into your actual class. Right. So by making your feet the spirit surge, theoretically there are circle of spirits, druids out there, or whatever that means in kind of the superhero-esque place that we've made. There are people who can control ghosts. But since Milo has this portal in the middle of his chest and there's a spooky hand that does other things or whatever Milo's relationship is to the spirit realm or the shadow realm if you're a Yu-Gi-Oh player, um, (laughs) I think that it made more sense to make like spirit surge as Milo's feet. So I gave Milo plus one to 
I think whatever your strongest one was. And I came up with this like pretty even 50-50 split of good and bad things that now Milo rolls on a 1d10 table. Uh, and we're also using the Dimension 20 house rules of having more spirit surges. So whenever uh, you don't get a 1, which ordinarily would trigger the wild magic table, now it stacks, so it would be like one, two, and then you have to roll on it. And if you don't get it, it becomes one, two, three, and from building from there. And like honestly, I prefer that. Yeah. More. Yeah, because it's like a buildup of holding this stuff back, like static, and it makes yeah. total sense to me. Yeah, and I I love the um, the sort of inspired choice to do half good things and half bad things because I think on the wild magic table as it is, it's like just more neutral random things like bubbles, mm. and you. I don't know, become a pot of plant types type stuff. So I really love the idea that it actually like has consequences within the game. You know, we never really talked about it. Do you want to know why Tuna turned into a panther? Yeah. No, tell yeah. me why. Well, what I rolled on was the table, and what I got was cast polymorph on Milo. If he fails, cast it on the closest creature to Milo. So what which is tuna. Which is tuna. So I made you do a spell save on Polymorph and then I had to do it on Tuna. And I'm just like, all right, what would be interesting for a tuna to turn into? And I'm like, ah, a panther. Nice. Now Tuna won't stop talking about being a panther in real life, so thank you for that, Eric. Well, you know who else won't stop talking about there being a panther? The people of Lake Town City who had a panther <laughs> run around. Oh, no. There will be consequences, I bet. Mm. Before we move out of uh, character details, reactions, opportunity attacks, and bonus actions, what is the difference? Okay, so we worked on this because one of Milo's circle of spores slash circle of spirits features is that he gets to just, like, spit spirit damage at people and that is a reaction a reaction is pretty much just like when something happens you can do it uh so ordinarily a reaction would be like like a held action if someone does this i'm going to do this uh or you might have an action that specifically says if someone comes within five feet of me i'm going to do this thing that is a reaction well we we later in the podcast we've turned this spirit spit into something more like hellish rebuke so it becomes a reaction if someone does damage to milo or someone within five or ten feet of him then he can do this damage because it was just easier to be like all right if someone does damage near me i will then damage them back a bonus action is just like this so in the action economy of DD, also the amount of time i've tried to think of the phrase action economy over the last few weeks is high so the action economy is that you get your movement so you can move whatever your speed is you get your action which can be punch someone use a magic item use a spell, etc. And then a bonus action, which is either a spell or an action that what is like special. Like it is designated by Wizard of the Coast as like this bonus thing. But if you're a spellcaster, you can only use a spell on either the bonus action or the action. You can't use two spells at a time. And then an opportunity attack is a very specific type of thing. If someone leaves your area, so I don't know if you've seen like those figure, those figurines, is like they stretch out five feet in all directions. Like when you look at a game board for Dungeons and Dragons, like every square is five feet by five feet. So if they leave your area, then you get to punch them on the way out. And this is kind of a holdover from the war games 
idea of the early Dungeons and Dragons. But it's like if someone leaves your area, they could hit you in the back while you run away. And as a player, it makes you consider, you know, you don't always want to flee from danger because then you can make yourself vulnerable to an attack. Yeah, that's why rogues are so powerful, because they can... They can disengage, which is how you don't invoke opportunity attacks. They can just do that as a bonus action and then go off and do something else. Dang, Rogue's good. Rogue's cool. And why did we start at level three? This one's a pretty easy answer because that's when all the cool shit happens. That is when all the cool shit happens. Val wouldn't have their cool, cool armor if they weren't level three because that's, uh, that's the benefit that Battle Rager gets at level three. And healing hands for me. Exactly. It's because we're playing this more powered sort of thing is like we it's more about the detail and what your powers mean. You know, if you're a certain type of hero and you come from classic fantasy traditions, it's like, oh, yeah, you're eventually going to be a good barbarian or a specific type of barbarian. But now you're a barbarian. But we really were coming down to like, what does a power mean? And how does that dictate that? Like, you know, Aggie is much different than Batman, but theoretically they're both monks. But Batman is like a shadow monk while Aggie is a monk of tranquility. It's like, mm-hmm. if you will, when you get any one of the three starter Pokemon and all they know is Scratch and Growl. They're all the same. It doesn't matter. And then suddenly they learn Water Gun. And then you're like, oh, you're a water Pokemon. Exactly. Makes sense. Makes Gotta sense. get through Route 5 first. Thank exactly. you for explaining this in the way that I understand. I didn't understand what I was saying. <laughs> I was actually reading off a piece of paper. And I was just like, it's like you're reading French and you're doing it phonetically. I'm just like, I don't know what this is. So thank you for telling it back to me. It's perfect. Let's keep the detail train rolling by down the tracks. Industry. America. Roll a G20, Eric. It's outside Julia's apartment. Choo-choo. Uh, let's ask about episode one. This is from It's Me, Danny B in the Discord. What was an expectation any of us had for the first couple episodes that either totally came true or totally didn't? You know, it's really interesting because we went into the first episode. I didn't know what Milo's class was. I didn't know which monk uh, type Amanda had chosen. So I really didn't have a lot of expectations going into episode one. So when y'all introduced your characters, I I was like just ready. I was yeah. on board and ready to go. I did expect Amanda's character to flirt with the next woman she saw. That is not what happened. <laughs> that is not what happened. I, I mean, know, it definitely Eric. is. You put a cute non-binary person in a leather jacket in front of Aggie and this just it's just it's just gonna happen mm. i want everyone to know including brandon that i did not do that intentionally i'm not trying to flirt with my girlfriend on her oh no no, no. Eric, i didn't think that you did anything i just expected amanda's character to flirt with someone ah okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> important distinction <laughs> I also felt like I had to make up for the fact that I so badly biffed that performance uh, role mm. in in front of the kids that Aggie is sure of herself in some ways and has some game. Totally. Despite the fact that Aggie did take 20 minutes to email Tegan back. Yeah, but, you know, she knows her strengths and rapid communication is not one of them. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Uh, I didn't honestly expect... I guess I didn't quite know how the world Eric was going to lay out would sort of like feel tonally. Um, I knew like stylistically sort of what we were going for, but tonally I wasn't quite sure whether it was going to be like the patented Eric Silver sort of like, um, Oh no, I have no idea what's coming next, but I'm bracing myself. No, no. It's like a, it's like a mix of realism, but also there's like this tinge of a goofy fun 
injected in it. I don't know. It's hard to, to describe, but it's like a very much an Eric Silver world building thing. Um, but I wasn't sure if you were going to take an entire left turn and like make it super, super real or if you were going to sort of like play along the, the strengths that you had, like um, we, without spoiling some future stuff. But like some of this future stuff is like, oh, I didn't know we were going this route in this real world world based campaign. Um, so that was a a interesting and and interest and cool surprise to to see. Are you talking about like the goons with mountain lobster masks and a jetpack? Yeah, like the way we described it in the world building episode. I wasn't sure whether you're going to take it like literally like real world, like we are in the real world. Like, hey, you have a wallet with money. That's your that thing is keeping you tied to the real world. Or it was like, yeah, there's going to be goons with mountain lobster masks on on <laughs> jetpacks. Yeah, I think it's somewhere in the middle. I actually felt really confident about where the style and the tone was going to go because of all the world building we did together. Is like you all helped populate the place, and then I'm going to let some people run around in it. But even the people like the goons and the mountain lobster mask are, was something that we established at the end of the world building episode wasn't it like there was a rash of bank robberies and uh these guys kept and these guys kept hitting it so it was like all right i'm gonna have this in but this is another thing that is a part of it is like it's also kind of a comic book we've been playing a lot of masks and because it's an amazing role-playing game everyone should go go find it but masks really puts you in a superhero world and I'm really seeing the difference between a fantasy world and a comic book world so anything can really pop up in a comic book world but you really take it seriously because it's in like a city and not like a fantasy castle it's not Game of Thrones it's like in Batman when Bane in the the last uh, Christopher Nolan Batman movie where Bane like destroys a football stadium is like yes this is a person who has the capability to destroy a football stadium like it's very big and I think that I felt really comfortable doing Eric Silver things by making it goofy making it ridiculous because at least it, it we're stretching comic book frames um, there are things that are going to pop up later that I'm very excited about but I still think superheroes will have to deal with and like i've been reading a lot of stuff like this you know i read all of the umbrella academy i rewatched the umbrella academy netflix show i watched all of my hero academia which i know is anime and anime also stretches the bounds of reality the tick as well uh just seeing like what do people outside of the marvel dc universe have to say about superheroes and like how do you how are the, the realms of the real world fungible yeah I think that's a great way to describe it. Like it's a comic book. It's a comic book and not like an adaptation, a film adaptation of a comic book. Yeah. Like if you can draw it, it exists. I think one of the other things that I was like really pleasantly surprised by with episode one was getting to act in everyone else's introductions. Yes, I was going oh, to say yeah. to improv and play little characters was a lot of fun. I don't know if that's really like a noticeable thing for others, but for us role playing in a, in a scene that our characters are not in, just being able to kind of like jump in and be those middle schoolers in the audience or the customers oh, in the pizza parlor. Oh, my favorite thing. Yes. Oh, awesome. my God. It was so fun. And I think that really is a consequence of the mutual world building that we've done. Like all of us, even though, you know, us PCs don't know where the plot is going and none of us knew where each other's introductions were taking place. We still were confident enough to kind of like, uh, you know, get into that scene and do a little improv ourselves. It was super fun. It also gave us the opportunity to interact with the characters before our character interacted with them, yeah. which I think is really important because it gives you a sense of who Aggie is, who Milo is, who Val is before you're, you know, before Aggie meets Val or Val meets Milo, etc. Yeah. 
Eric, did you text or uh, tell everyone ahead of time like how to to play a certain thing or like like a funny thing to do? No, I did exactly what happened when we were all playing. I shot everyone Slack messages like five minutes before the scene was about to happen while we were playing. And I remember for the Val one, I remember sending you a message. I was like, hey, just try to buy pizza with $1 and see what happens. No, I think <laughs> you said I didn't have any money or something like that. Or I only, Yeah, I only had a dollar. That's what it was, yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, so f- for the middle school ones, you didn't like, because I think, I don't think I got a text for the middle school ones. Did you send a text to anyone else for the middle schooler one to ask a specific question or like anything like that? I sent everyone specific questions to ask because I remember someone, I asked you to ask Aggie how much she made. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. I think yours was like, ask, you're a embarrassed middle schooler who has to ask a question. And so I decided on asking about Monty. Wow, I had no idea. That's really fun. Yeah. Listen, this is going to be a whole Dimension 20 shout out and you should go listen to my conversation with Brennan Lee Mulgan because we talk about this explicitly, but Brennan does this amazing thing in the beginning of Dimension 20 arcs where he introduces each character one by one. And it always takes a really long time because there are six players. And it's like, I totally understand that, but I really feel a little bad for the players who are sitting there and be like, I wish they had something to do. Mm-hmm. So I think that since we are, everyone is familiar with our voices from Join the Party or from Spirits or the other things on Multitude, it's like, yeah, let's just like play some NPCs yeah. and really try to throw some chaos. Because it's like, how much chaos can some interns, some pizza, uh, pizza tourists, and some middle schoolers really do? And like, you really just push the thing forward that we wanted to talk about and it was nice that it didn't feel like it was coming from me. I really want a shirt now that it says pizza tourist. <laughs> Your pizza insider. Mm. But yeah, that was really fun. I'm just, you know, everything about campaign two, and this is referencing what Amanda said, it is a synthesis of all of the Dungeons and Dragons media that I've consumed and really trying to take the good parts and put it in there. It's like, it's not just the Adventure Zone anymore. It's Dimension 20 and even if the other podcasts that we love, like Arcs and Rude Tales and uh, not another D&D podcast. Like, and also the Masks game that we play. It's like, I learned so much from the different people that we're a part of. And I'm doing my single favorite thing, which is taking things from other games and putting it into Dungeons and Dragons. Shout out Friends at the Table. It's incredibly good. And process-wise, we also got a little bit of multimedia into episode one. Um, So Joey on Discord asks, uh, did we already have David Reinstrom's reading of the Sage Lansleaf video? That's who uh, narrated the video for us to react to. Or did Eric, as the DM, recite it in the moment and then have David record it after the fact? That, I had had it written and I read it aloud because that's how the good cuts happened in between when you guys were responding because it was me saying it. And then later I knew I wanted David Reinstrom to read it. And I'm just like, this character Sage Lansleaf, which we got when we went to the Botanical Gardens. Yes, uh, Eric and I went to the Botanical Gardens uh, in January or something. And uh, the I think it was like the desert and herb room. Yeah. I was just like immediately as soon as we walked in, I was like, oh, my God, all of these plants are NPC names. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> We'll, we'll put on Instagram a couple of the photos that we took that day, but there are many good ones. Oh, I tweeted all of them. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'll go find the tweet. 100% good. So, yeah, I knew that that was a character and I knew that it was going to be narrated in this type of multimedia, but I wanted you to respond to it, especially because you, you being Brandon and Julia being children and Aggie being Aggie, <laughs> Amanda being Aggie, we're going to have to respond to it. So I wanted everyone on the same page. Yeah. It was very funny in the moment, too. It was, you had us cackling, basically. Yeah. 
It was so good. I thank you all so much, my players uh, and my uh, collaborators, for letting me keep the 9-11 joke in there. a very good joke. It's a very good joke. As New Yorkers living here on 9-11, we can make 9-11 jokes, and it was great. It was very, like, night fail to me. I was like, that's a thing that they do. They say something, like, traumatizing, and then they immediately cut away from it. And I'm like, that's a... V- and they, they let a beat happen. And then Amanda immediately yeah. came uh-huh. in with an Aggie Bowser head. I'm like, yes, perfect. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that people would make a huge, especially a city, would make a huge deal about, like, oh, we're also helping New Yorkers, but, like, do it in a really, like, ham-fisted mm-hmm. way. So that was something that was really important that, like, he is a government official. This is the leader of the Mumfka and related to the government is like he's going to do stuff that's like not sensitive because this is like a, a state uh, message. So I was really happy with it. And shout out to Brandon for uh, finding the exact right length of a pause to put in. Uh, it was extraordinary. I remember you asked us like, is this too much? And we're like, no, that's perfect. <laughs> I think we even told you make it a little longer. Yeah, yeah. If anything. That actually yeah, reminds me, did. where did our inspirations for our characters names come from? So for Val, partly in preparation for getting Val's voice down and partly because my husband is my husband, I had been watching a lot of The Sopranos. Yes. And one of the characters owns a restaurant in The Sopranos, which is called Vesuvio's. And I was like, mm, mm, chef's kiss. I love it. I love so it. So good. So I went a couple of different first names for Val originally, but ended up on Val because I liked the non-specific gender of it. And also I just really liked the alliteration. Brandon, is yours about bowling? Yes slash no. So when we, yes, mine is definitely about bowling. Uh, when we were making the world building episode, uh, when we made Astro Lane, I pulled that from this uh, old N64 bowling game called Milo's Astro Lanes. <gasps> Oh my god! <laughs> no way! Oh my god! Um, so I love I love this game. So I took that name Milo, um, and I couldn't think of a good last name. So I was like, "Fuck it, I'll just be Milo Lane." <laughs> Very good. I love that. Milo Lane is an incredibly like Marvel ass name, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like two two syllables, very short, both yeah, four yeah. letter four letters long. It's like, like a byline, like Clark Kent. It's like Milo Lame, <laughs> reporter. And uh, mine is honoring two people that I think would really love Lake Town City. Uh, my my grandma um, on my dad's side uh, was named Margaret and everyone called her Aggie. So I just really like that first name and, and wanted to use it. And then um, O'Hare comes from someone in Lake Placid, the sort of caretaker of the place that my family lives, uh, who passed away in, last year and was just one of those people who like whenever he would come by to like clean the gutters, he would sit down at the kitchen table for three hours drinking one cup of coffee telling you stories about Lake Placid in, you know, the 1940s. Aww. So um, that was uh, that was Ken Hare, and he was an absolute local legend. So I wanted to take his last name, make it slightly more Irish, and that's Aggie O'Hare. That's very, very sweet. And uh, Dom Toretto the fifth. Oh uh, I wonder where that came from. <laughs> it came from the Fast and Furious movies. I do like the na- the idea that he's the fifth one, like Kim being Dom 5. That was really, I love that so much. I love... I'm going to have so much fun playing in this the ridiculously named mob space. N- naming these people is just going to be bananas. I've given I'm you, so I excited. have a family tree that I gave Eric at the beginning once we've decided on <laughs> So Val. funny. And there, there's some good names on there. There's some genuinely very there's good names on there. There's some great names. I cannot wait. Where did Dr. Morrow come from, Eric? That was from our Patreon. 
we oh, I got Morrow from our patrons. Cassandra, I thought was really interesting because she's like a futurist. So her being able to see into the future. But Morrow was one of our NPCs. Nice. I of, thought you took like Tom Morrow, but no, that makes more it, sense. It just worked. It honestly just worked. I just really liked that. It was Morrow for a while, but then I'm like, I'm gonna hammer the metaphor down and. And it turns out that the name came from the the Patreon list. That's awesome. I have been reading a lot of of uh, classic detective stories, so I did call her Doctor Moreau for a lot of episode one, Brandon. Thank you for editing those out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, I think our appetizer sampler is running a little bit low uh, here at this after party. So no! let's just run into the kitchen real quick and then we'll come back for our episode two world building and DMing questions. Let's get mott sticks. Let's get mott sticks. Mott sticks. Oh, no, you ate all the mozzarella sticks and you drank the sauce. I got to go get more. Welcome to the mid roll. Hello to our new patrons, Kyle, Cassandra, Molly, Monica and Shelby. You probably used to hearing us say this a lot on Multitude Shows, but we are so grateful for each and every person who supports us on Patreon. You literally make it possible for this to be our jobs, and we couldn't do it without you. We are so stoked about the new campaign. We have a ton of bloopers and bonus content to share, so go ahead and join us at patreon.com slash jointhepartypod. For all that bonus content, physical gifts in the mail, and of course, access to our hip-hoppin' patron-only Discord, join us at patreon.com slash jointhepartypod. Now, we told you last episode about the Lake Town City map wallpaper and music bundles for sale in our merch store. But did you know that a bunch of other Multitude shows also have new digital merch items for sale? From ringtones to phone backgrounds, there are tons of items you can get for yourself or for a friend. There are bundles from Spirits, Potterless, and Next Stop, Multitude's brand new audio sitcom, which I wrote and I think it's pretty funny. We're adding new stuff all the time, so head on over to multitude.production slash merch to see the digital and physical items all of our shows have for sale. Now, one of my favorite aspects of D&D is problem solving. How can I build infrastructure to serve a city, but also the plot of the story? How do I optimize the stats of my new character? Playing this game teaches you skills, like how to solve new and unfamiliar problems with critical reasoning. And today's sponsor, Brilliant, is there to give you a toolkit and framework to work through novel problems. They offer a wide range of content, including interactive courses on topics from scientific thinking to math fundamentals, from program with Python to machine learning, including probability courses involving dice. Hey, I love dice! And they know, like any good DM does, that you can develop skills and intuition by problem solving. Effective learning is active and brilliant lets you master concepts by solving fun, interactive problems all by yourself. Flex your adventurer brain by going to brilliant.org slash join the party and sign up for free. And also, the first 200 people that go to that link will get 20% off their annual premium plan. That is brilliant.org slash join the party. We are also sponsored today by World Anvil. This is a powerful world-building platform and specialized wiki for all world-builders and also campaign manager for all of us with lots of notes to keep track of. Shout out to me. It's perfect for writers, game masters, and players to track their world-building and characters and play their games. GMs can build their lore, maps, stat blocks and timelines, plan sessions, and share what they want during sessions. I have so much to keep track of during our game sessions, so I love having a tool like World Anvil to keep it all in line. Players can also manage their characters, make notes, roll dice, track their journeys and equipment, no more forgetting items, and even chat with the parties to show off their characters. Players taking care of their own characters? This is wild! 
Subscriptions start at $3 a month, and there's also a free version to try out now. So head on over to worldanvil.com and use code JOINTHEPARTY for 10% off all 6- and 12-month memberships. And finally, this After Party is brought to you in part by Our Plague Year. This is a new kind of current events podcast from Joseph Fink of Welcome to Night Vale and Alice Isn't Dead. It's an island in a sea of bad headlines, an experiment in public anxiety. It's a scary year, but this doesn't have to be done alone. Joseph and other prominent writers like Cory Doctorow, Nisi Shaw, and Night Vale's Jeffrey Craner document this year as it is lived week by week, the big and the small, the tragic and the funny. Alongside that, they feature regular voicemails from listeners describing their own extraordinary and ordinary moments. Together, we will tell the story of this year, and together, we will live through it. I will make it through this year if it kills me. And now, let's get back to the after party. I got bot sticks! All right, couple questions on episode two. So, uh, Eric, Joey uh, wants to know from Discord, what are your feelings regarding initiative? <laughs> yeah, man, I know that initiative is a big part of Dungeons and Dragons, but I know it's from its war games tradition, and it sometimes gets really, really slow on podcasts. You know, if you have a lot of players and there are a lot of enemies and you need to know where everyone is moving and maybe you have a board in front of you, I get how initiative is important that everybody gets a turn and it has to do with like how fast you are on the draw. But sometimes I want to, you know, it's not always about fighting each other. Sometimes it's about like a challenge. And, you know, I've talked about this a lot on the first campaign of Join the Party. So like I'm just going to keep pushing initiative in the way that I can. And what stats did you use for the robbers? Did they have any fun abilities that they did not get a chance to use? That's from Paul on Discord. I know the answer to this question because I cut it out. <laughs> so as Brandon read me to filth. At uh, one point you slipped and you said like, um, and now it's the flying cobalt yeah, turn. Yeah, I was like, oh, the like flying that. cobalt <laughs> Yeah, so I used cobalt stats. Um, you love a cobalt. a cobalt. I do. I think that there are a lot of variants, especially in Volos. There's like six different types of cobalts plus whatever you can find on the internet. Uh, so I used two cobalt dragon shields. Those were the guys with the sh- wrought iron shields. The cobalt inventor was the one who ran to the vault, and the winged cobalt was a cobalt with a jetpack. But uh, someone had asked me about this on Twitter that was like, hey, what were the what were the goons supposed to do before Aggie wrecked shop? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, well, we've been watching a ton of heist movies. So there's always that thing in the heist movie where it's like, I'm not stealing your money. You guys will be safe if you don't do anything. Like you make eye contact with the one guard and you have your gun out and the guard is just like, okay, goodbye. And like goes back to his coffee. It's like we're hostages, we're, but no one is going to get hurt. So I think that because they were on a real tear of bank robberies, they didn't think that someone was going to come and stop them. So it was a really like, we're going to do the plan. We're going to take Ma, we're going to take Ma's sign. We're going to take some other stuff that were that was in there. We're going to break open the vault and we're going to get out of there. But also there were four of them, but only three made it into the bank for the initial thing. So there was a lot of problems immediately that Aggie caused and you all three of you caused. Like, And then, of course, the, uh, the Night of Mirrors showed up. So lots of stuff was happening there. And Zarina asks in Discord, what types of creatures and battles can we expect in the new season? Thinking about like more mythical creatures and if they're going to be adapted or if it's going to be more powerful people like the heroes. Yeah, a lot more powerful people, a lot of monsters being reskinned as people. 
you know, it is a modern world, and like if you wouldn't see a goblin. <laughs> it's just that's the the kind of game that we're playing. So, but that doesn't really mean anything. It's just like they have names and they probably have a job. And I don't know if that's better or worse. But it's an uh, this is another thing. It's like you know what? If people die, it's gonna be a pretty big deal. Like this is really like a side scrolling like Batman video game, the Spider Man video game. Like you beat them up and then they dissolve into pixels and then the police will come get them. It's it's just a lot easier to be like, hey, you beat them up, good. That's the kind of world I want. I want. Yeah, live. I don't plan on killing anyone in this campaign. That's surprising. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and then Milo takes out a dagger and stabs the goon in the heart. Exactly. None of us are gonna do that. Yeah, so I was like, I want to knock him down meanly. Like that's, the, <laughs> that's that. the most violent I'm gonna get. I do like this, and this is something that comes up more. You are all really thinking about your space a lot more and how humans fight. Uh, instead of just like, I'm going to blast them with my blast ray or I'm going to stab them in a, with a dagger. It's a lot like I'm going to push them down. So that was something that Aggie did was like, I'm going to knock this person prone, which I think is a lot harder when you're in a tense situation and you're with people. You want to stop them and then go to your next thing, especially because Val and Aggie are so like athletically powered. Wow. It's a call very me interesting out. way. Milo, you literally have ghost powers. Like, I don't know. <laughs> You're literally our magic user, but Aggie and Val are specifically like strong and fast. And I think that's something really important that you guys can run very fast and then do damage. So the way that fights go are really different. Yeah, I, th- I was uh, I was it was interesting that my first reaction in the bank robbery scene, like when it first went down and you were like, what do you do? My first reaction was hide, I think, <laughs> because <laughs> that's yeah. scary and I'm a human and I'm soft. Yes, you're a normal person. Yeah. I think that was good, though, because Milo can get down and then do magic from the ground, which I think make yeah. is how humans with powers interact with bad situations. Mm-hmm. And then it became another thing. It's like, hey, did people see Milo do that thing? And yes, everyone saw Milo do that thing. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no? <laughs> I don't think that was Milo. A related question from Dimmons. Eric, how do you think of interesting consequences to unexpected PC actions? Oh, that's a good question. Um... I think it's about realizing it's really happening, like really thinking about what would happen if someone does this, Uh, interacting with people or interacting with things. It's more just like thinking about it if it's real and then doing something that I find interesting or I think other people would find fun. It's uh, it's just the way that my brain works, and I like it, and it's the way that I play Dungeons and Dragons. I'm sorry that I don't have a more fulfilling answer to that, but it's more like I and this is the, this is kind of the reverse of how I saw script writing when I was doing Next Stop. So shout out to Dungeons and Dragons for helping me write the script. It's like everything is about cause and effect. One thing happened, which leads to this, and because that happened, it led to this, and because that happened, it led to this. So it's like kind of the reverse is like everything has consequences, and let's think of something fun that everyone can enjoy or have to reckon with or at least laugh at. Brandon, what was the process for coming up with the new JTP theme, which is, sorry, I have to check my notes here, a banger, according to every listener? I'm sorry, I have, I'm getting breaking news right now. It, it fucking slaps? Is that, was that what we were going <laughs> for? fire, there goes the fire alarm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so with this process, it was a little bit easier than like composing whole cloth because um, I had the melody already done right so like i have a piece to work off of so what i did was just take like the existing melody the take those notes and like sort of play around with them and and see what the most interesting variation on those was i ended up going 
for some reason I'm always just like bass and drums heavy when I first start a piece of thing. So I started with the bass line that like just the dunk 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 dunk, dunk and that's just a variation of the melody. Sorry, Brandon, um, my carbon monoxide alarm is going off because that was straight fire. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, and then from there, it's just like, um, that's just the whole, like, that's the whole song, basically, is the drums, the bass, and the melody. And then from there, it's just adding textures and interests um, along the way. Very exciting. This is a general question that I would like Julia to start with, which is how kind of your idea of your character changed as you developed them. Things like putting a voice to them, did that kind of change how you thought of your character as you actually started playing? So here's the thing. When I am developing a character, a player character specifically, I try to leave as much of their past blank as possible because I feel like the more... I play the character the more I discover about them. So for instance, with Val, I didn't go into the episode knowing what kind of education Val got, whether or not they went to college. Uh, I know the like beats of their family history, but not like their specific history. So the line where uh, Eric and I are talking with Eric playing Rosa, Val's mom, the line where Incredible. it's like, it's one of the, it's one of the words I learned at SUNY Lake Town City. My communications degree, I was like, oh, Val has a communications degree as that left my mouth. I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a useless degree that Val has. Excellent. That's That explains so much <laughs> about them. So I, I think that when you're playing, you have to discover parts of your character. I came in, I knew the voice, I knew what they did for a living, I knew where they came from, but all of the extras had to be filled in as I played them and as they grew. How about you, Brandon? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I'm sort of, I guess, in the middle of what you might imagine, Julia, and and like a fully fleshed out character. I I have a good idea, good sense of like who Milo is as a human being, but like um, in the context of this adventure. And in the context of his like newly found skills, I really don't have any plans. I, you know, I, I sort of have an idea of, you know, he's a like sort of fandom nerd who sells stuff on eBay and like has a cat and like I know his family history history. Um, but beyond that, I kind of just don't I don't think about it because I want to be able to like, yeah, be able to be agile during the game and move things around. Yeah. So I don't, yeah, I don't know if he went to college, where he went to college. I assume he went to college because he, you know, teaches at at a museum. But um, any of those specifics, I think we can just like discover along the way. Yeah, I think I had a good sense of Aggie's uh, family and sort of like all the component parts of adding up to who she is, but not a good sense of how she interacts with the world. Um, So being able to talk to all those PCs in my introduction, um, I started getting a sense of who I am. And then certainly in combat as well, I didn't expect to be the kind of character who is like, I might as well be the police. Fine, sure, you know, but kind of (laughs) figuring out, you know, what is important to me and how far I'll go to, to defend that. You know, it's it's kind of coming out as I play. So that's certainly very exciting. I am self-conscious about my character voice uh, because I, I am figuring it out. And also Julia speaking so like so many people we know is bleeding into my brain. And so I feel like I have moments of Italian inflection that I did not intend. Um, so but, you know, we're it's a work in progress. We're working through it. I definitely think that you should always have a character that has a lot of room to explore because then your DM can fill it. And it's not that... You need to not have anything be a blank slate or have like 10 
pages of backstory. It's like there needs to be handholds that I can latch on to. Uh, and we haven't been able to get there in episode one or episode two. We did this with Val and their mom, which we started teasing. Uh, but, well, you know, we'll get there. Only the first two episodes of a podcast. Mm. That was something that was actually pretty difficult in campaign one, for me at least, um, to, like, give you some stuff to hold on to. And I know that was a constant struggle between us to, like, give Tracy actual motivation. Yeah. But, you know, that's what happens when you're a robot in the wilderness that gets turned on by a warlocked creature who then decides to just kind of do whatever he wants and not leading them there. It's like, that's what happens in fantasy. It's, yeah. that's a fantasy trope and like not a helpful D&D trope. So, yeah. you know, that's why we're playing a modern game. That last question was from Venick. This one is from Shell. Um, what do we think it's going to be like with a primarily human cast as opposed to all of the fantasy races running around the concentric states? You know, I might be an outlier in this sense, but I don't think that it's all that different when you have a campaign with like a half elf and a half orc and a halfling, all the halves. Um, (laughs) But like, I don't think it really affects the campaign all that much. My home campaign, literally, I think every other character except two are different races. And I it really doesn't play with it that much. As long as the background of the character is different, I think that's all that matters. I, I agree. I, th- I think the only thing that is different, the thing that we talked about earlier is like, yeah, I'm going to feel more sort of like precious or careful of my human, soft human form. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. But I think that's pre- pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, like I never run around the world now and I'm like, oh, all humans are the same. I wish there were some half orcs to just mix it up. You know, all humans are all very different. It's it's a again, we talk about this all the time. It's fantasy tropes. It's things that were adapted from Tolkien. I do wish there were half orcs. In yeah, it'd be world, hot. <laughs> Brandon, you, you think the same thing? They'd no, I just think it'd be fun. <laughs> All right, let's close with two very important questions. Uh, Brandon, is Tuna a sleek cat or a floof cat? Campbell has to know. Tuna is a sleek cat. Mm. They are a red bicolor Devon Rex. Um, so Google that and you'll see what they look like. Um, they're kind of like, um, kind of look like those like weird Egyptian hairless cats, but like a little bit more fluffy, a little bit more furry, I guess. Yeah, I um, was going off of your description of tuna, and I was like, okay, yeah, that's what a cat looks like. Like, I totally get it. And then I looked up what a, a Devon Rex is, and I was like, oh, that cat got shrunk. It was <laughs> that, that cat is dehydrated. Ear so big, face so small. Yeah, they're weird cats, and they were described, they're like commonly described as like um, a mix between like a cat and a monkey mm-hmm. i think like, oh my they're i i picked it because it's like really smart and like oddly kind of like human-esque like even more so than cats are so they like to be at the top of any room at the highest point in any room like a and goat like a goat and uh they're the little pranksters and you can walk them like i know you can like technically sort of walk any cat but like a lot of people <laughs> walk devon rexes that's extremely fun. And Julia uh, Namort on Twitter wants to know, how is the quality of the bread in Lake Town City? Where do you buy the best baguette? And also, what are the favorite pastries of all the characters? The most important question. I am of two minds here. I think that there are two places you can get bread in Lake Town City. I think that we have established in our world building episode that college town is also kind of like the french quarter in the sense that it's very canadian french canadian inspired so i imagine there are very good french bakeries up there but nothing beats a fucking 
toasted bread coming out of Little Italy. So. Oh, fuck it. Hey, if you go anybody else, you're a not ciabatta. getting the best fucking bread. Like, I got ciabatta for fucking days well, you here. you want some fucking focaccia? We got focaccia. Got a baguette? You think it's better than me? Can I tell you how many fucking F-words that I cut out of the episode <laughs> so and still ended up with, like, 70 F-words in the I'm episode? So sorry. Keep them. Keep them. A lot of the time, I just have to cut Julia talking <gasps> because every sentence she said had the F-word no, in it. No, put it back. <laughs> Give us the F-bomb cut. I'm trying to keep a minimal amount in there, and I am cutting any motherfuckers, because that's just <laughs> no, too far. No, Brandon! It's my favorite word! <sighs> Release the fuck cut. <laughs> anyway, uh, to answer the back question, right, it's the which pastries are their favorites? Hmm. I think you can't go wrong with a good grandma style cheesecake where it's like the oh. the anisette flavor in there it, the the breading part is not too like graham crackery and it's just and it's not like just eating cream cheese because it's made with ricotta instead of cream cheese right it's a savory mm-hmm. yeah i was gonna yeah. yeah not not new york style grandma style i think aggie likes a, a classic danish Cheese, raspberry, apple, pineapple, whatever sure, you got. Of course. Um, Milo likes the best pastry of all, which is a uh, pan au chocolat, a chocolate mm. croissant. Nice. The best pastries. So Milo gets his pastries at College Town. Val gets their pastries in Little Italy. Of course. I feel like there's got to be like one little like um, boutique bakery on the edge of in- or in industry town, mm. you know? Oh, yeah, where Industry Town and Thornhill come together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There used to be a lot of cupcake shops, but not anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Every single day, Dr. Morrow gets two blueberry financiers and a grande latte cup, but it's just filled with espresso. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I get it. Listen, she looks real good for her age. Whatever she's doing, I'm going to replicate here in the real mm-hmm. world. Uh, it requires uh, Delta radiation, oh, so it might damn. be hard for you. Okay. And guys, I don't know how you feel about this, but I like to propose a segment to end the after party with every month. Hit me. Please. Do it. This is the spoilies that we will say but not comment on eyes emoji segment. So these are a bunch of questions that people asked that are about spoilers that we're not going to answer because we want you to encounter them. (laughs) But instead, we're going to say them and go, ooh, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Okay, great. Tanya, I know you're going to hate me for including this question, but uh, she asked in the Discord, remember the invisible bard from season one? Is Derek going to make a comeback in this season as well? Mm. Mm, Mm. I don't know. Who can say? Who can say, really? Uh, Yes. Is, is Tegan the Knight of Mirrors, Joey asks? Who's to say? The, okay. Who can really say? I legit didn't, hadn't even thought of that. Me neither. And I have no idea if it's true or not, but that can is I, genius. Can I no. riff with you guys for a second? Here's my theory. Yes. And no one tell Great. me if I'm wrong or right or whatever. I okay. don't yeah. think Tegan is the Knight of Mirrors. I do think, though, that Tegan has the power of invisibility. Oh. oh that would be very okay. good. Okay. Interesting. Mm. And Joey also asks, Joey's on a roll, do Danny, Cassie, Regan, Ryan, Kelly, Quinn also have special p- abilities? Eyes, 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 eyes. If so, what are they? Hmm. No. no. Just I don't know. Say. Go off of the world building episodes and the things that are in the episodes. Who can say? Can you give me that, that sibling list again one more time, Amanda? Yeah, it's Aggie, Danny, Cassie, Regan, Ryan, Kelly, Quinn. It's like music. It's it beautiful. Is, it's like poetry. I, 
did name and order them based on how it sounded in that list. Excellent. <laughs> my, my dad's one of 11 kids, and so whenever he recites any of his siblings' names or when you ask, oh, is blank older than blank, the only way he knows is to say them all in order. So that's where that comes from. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh my God, I'm so excited about this. And I don't know if it's just like learning about your family, Amanda, which is relatively big compared to mine, but I just, oh, we, we we get into some of your siblings later, and they're just so delightful. Mm. I love it so much. They are. There's definitely a photo of everybody like lined up in height order at a wedding. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. That's adorable. And once, we, uh, once we're able to have live shows again, people are absolutely welcome to ask me to name Aggie siblings at the drop of a hat. I have been quizzing myself. <laughs> I will be ready. Very cute. <laughs> All right, everybody, thank you so much for joining us for this first after party of Campaign 2. We are so excited about it. We love your questions. Thank you to all of our patrons who uh, listen along in the Story Spoilers channel in our Discord and just make our day every uh, new episode Tuesday. So thank you so much. Later. Bye. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here.